Hello and welcome to Encouraging Others in Loving Jesus. I'm your host, Kim Smith, and this is episode 145, Practicing the Art of Christian Diplomacy. Most of us have never had any ambition of being a diplomat. I don't know about you, but when I think of the word diplomat, I think of like really high level as in the diplomats from one country to another. And I know that more than likely God has not called me to that role. But the thing is, more than likely, the majority of the days of our life, we are going to have opportunities to be a diplomat, to be someone who speaks on behalf of someone else and speaks with intention, speaks in order to accomplish a purpose, whether it be to avoid conflict, whether it be to obtain something. The thing is, as a Christian, we are diplomats. We are diplomats of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God in his sovereignty, chose to make you and I his representatives. Is that not like just a crazy, (laughs) crazy idea? Since more than likely, we don't think of ourselves in those terms. This is at the end, I'm recording, at the end of 2021, and my class has been going through a special Christmas series. And one of the things that I've noticed in the midst of that was the fact that God chose to send the message of the good news of Christ's birth as well as of his resurrection first through his angelic messengers. But he didn't continue to send an angel to spread the good news. The angels were the initial lap of the relay, so to speak, but they handed the baton. They handed the baton in the story of the birth of Christ. They handed the baton to the shepherds, not a group of people that probably any of us would have chosen to be the next part of the big, this is the most incredible news ever, relay. And then in the resurrection story, the baton was handed to the women, including Mary Magdalene. Women were not, they were not considered reliable witnesses as in their witness would not stand up in court. God, in his sovereignty, chose the humble shepherds to receive the good news from the angels of the birth and the women to be the first to hear about the risen Savior. And they got the opportunity to go and tell. In other words, to be the diplomats who went out and represented the God of the universe to the people. We've been working our way through the book of 1 Samuel now for quite a few months. And 
On most of the occasions, David, who is not the king yet, he will be coming up, but he's not the king yet. David has made really wise decisions and we've been looking at him and we've been focusing on the fact that he he appears to really trust God, that he's going to trust that the promise that God gave to him through Samuel, and Samuel's name is going to come up in today's story, through Samuel, the prophet Samuel, that that promise as a teenage boy that Samuel anointed him that he would be the next king of Israel, that God is going to bring that to pass. This week, however, we see David as a mere mortal, for lack of a better way to put it. We see it, we saw in last week's lesson, we saw him again being stalked by King Saul. King Saul brought in not brought in, sent in 3,000 of his best soldiers to try to chase down one man, being David. And why are they not successful? From a human standpoint, they've got to be successful, but they're not because God is fighting on David's behalf. And then next week, well, maybe two weeks from now, we'll look again at another story of Saul and David and how God works on David's behalf. But for this week, we have this really unique story that's stuck in the middle of chase, 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 chase. And then all of a sudden, we have this little story of what was happening in David's life in the midst of him being on the run from King Saul. We're in 1 Samuel 25, and we're going to go through verses 1 through 38 today. And more than likely, we will finish it out next week. Um, Even though there's not a whole lot of scriptures there, I really feel like God is going to give us maybe a nugget. So that's the reason I'm kind of holding that off. But the very first verse of 1 Samuel 25, it says, Now Samuel died and all Israel gathered for his funeral. They buried him at his house in Ramah. That's all we've got about Samuel and his death. Samuel was a huge figure in the story of the Israelites. Samuel is one of my absolute favorite characters in the entire text of Scripture. Samuel was a godly man. Samuel stood in the gap. Samuel was a great diplomat representing God. There is no doubt about that. He was he was strong when he needed to have strength. He was patient when he needed to be patient. That doesn't mean he was perfect. Christian diplomacy does not involve perfect people. Because number one, there aren't any other than Christ. And number two, we're not going to be perfect. Like we just are not. And that's what we see in David's life today. But this little nod to Samuel and the fact that all Israel gathered for his funeral, they should have. Go back and listen to the previous podcast. It's been been quite a few months now since we talked about Samuel, but we talked about him for a while and just how he, he was the last judge of Israel. The book of Judges is just a, a mess. 
and you've got the book of Judges, and then you've got Samuel as this transitional figure. He was the last judge. He was, he was the person who anointed Saul. He was the one that officially the Israelites didn't want in as their leader anymore because they wanted a king like everybody else. And Samuel also ached for Saul and what Saul had done with the opportunity that God had given him. And then he anointed David. I mean, Samuel just was such a godly example of leadership, but he didn't do everything right. And, and yet I have no doubt that Samuel will be one of those that we will meet in heaven. We go on. Then David moved to the wilderness of Maon. There was a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. It was sheep shearing time. This man's name was Nabal and his wife Abigail was a sensible and beautiful woman. We're going to see a contrast. Well, it's just like obvious. A huge contrast between Abigail Nabal's wife and Nabal. She is described as a sensible and beautiful woman in some of the other translations. Like the ESV, it has her as discerning and beautiful. There's another translation that has it as like intelligent and beautiful. You get the picture. She was, she was a looker, but she also was an intelligent lady. And not only book smart intelligent, but we're going to see in her interactions with David, we are going to see that she had excellent emotional intelligence. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on emotional intelligence for sure today, but emotional intelligence versus book smarts, you just understand people. You understand how to interact with them. You understand yourself. And we're going to see that Abigail was very much aware of how to best handle conflict and how best to accomplish a purpose. And then we've got the flip side. We've got Nabal. He is the exact opposite in every way. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, if we stop there, like this might be a good story. Like this might be this wonderful love story. You've got Abigail and she's sensible and beautiful. And then you've got Nabal and he's a descendant of Caleb. Caleb was the man's man. Caleb was one of the two Israelites that were sent in to scout out the promised land and came back and said, that land is flowing with milk and honey and God will give us that land. The other 10 were like, yeah, it's a great place, but we are grasshoppers in their eyes and we don't need to go there. Caleb was, along with Joshua, two men who had such a godly reputation in Israel. Go back and read one of my favorite books, the book of Joshua, and you will learn more about Caleb. Nabal came from good stock, but somehow or another, he ran off the rails. It says he was crude and mean in all his dealings, and we're going to see that play out through this. When David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So it is sheep shearing season 
in this area of the world, he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel with this message for Nabal, peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. I am told that it is sheep sharing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men and they will tell you this is true. So would you be kind to us since we have come at the time of celebration? Please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and with our, with your friend, David. David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name and they wanted a reply. Talking about a diplomat, I mean, David, his message is very kind. And one of the practices during that time, which makes total sense, was if you had a group of sheep. And throughout that time, I mean, just imagine trying to keep up with 3,000 sheep. Now, sheep are not known for being smart animals, just the exact opposite. So it's going to take a lot of manpower and holding on to 3,000 sheep, getting them to a place where they can be sheared and you can make an income. That's quite a piece of work. And in this case, David and his men were contributors to that work. They weren't officially on Nabal's payroll, but what would happen is whenever the person who owned the sheep would get the proceeds, he would divvy up amounts of money based upon what others had done for him. In other words, kind of a business transaction of you took, you know, you were there for us and you watched over us in this one area and I want to give you, give you something. But that's not how Nabal looks at it. So this is verse 10. It says, who is this fella David? Nabal sneered to the young man. Now, like we could read that. And if we didn't know the rest of scripture, we might think, well, maybe Nabal really didn't know who David was. And maybe he thought David was just trying to get money from him, but hadn't really done anything. Nabal knows exactly who David is. And you, you, you see it from the next phrase says Nabal sneered to the young men who does this son of Jesse think he is he obviously knows who he is he knows his daddy he knows who David is he knows that David is the one more than likely who killed Goliath because we're going to see that in Abigail's speech down below he knows that he says there are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. So he's taking a smack at David as if he has run away from his master and that being Saul. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat, my, 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 that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? Like, you know, Nabal, Nabal's name literally means fool. And if you knew who David was, and even if you knew that he was on the run from King Saul, but you knew the mighty feats, the battles that he had led Israel to win, and you know that he has his band of outlaws 
which we've talked about in previous lessons, the fact that 600 men have now gone to fight alongside him that are in his camp, would you not want to maybe keep them on your side? Like, or would you just like to start a war? Because, like, Nabal is not the commander of an army. He's a wealthy landowner, and he's just begging for trouble. But he is so cocky. Did you catch the ma and the ma and the ma and the ma? Nabal is not somebody to model your life after. There is not one, one positive in all of Scripture. All of Scripture that is about Nabal just just shows how not to treat others, how not to be pompous, how not to be someone who is so focused on me, 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 me. So it says, so David's young men returned and told him what Nabal had said. Get your swords, was David's reply, and he strapped on his own. The 400 men started off with David and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us and we never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection for, to us and the sheep. <coughs> Excuse me. You need to know this and figure out what to do, for there is going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. He's so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. Wow. Everybody knows that Nabal is a mess. And they know that, hey, we are in this together and he is going to get us killed. He's going to, if we don't get killed, he's going to destroy the business of which we are trying to feed our families. And so they reach out to Abigail. Abigail being the one with the good head on her shoulders. You know, as I just keep looking at Nabal, just it was a, it was a faulty business decision not only is it just being bad news but i mean even from a non-christian perspective what he did was not healthy or good wow so verse 18 abigail wasted no time she quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread two wineskins full of wine five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, a hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys and said to the servants, Go on ahead, I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal what she was doing. As she was riding her donkey into a mon uh, mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming toward her. David had just been saying a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was lost or stolen. But he has repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. So our main focus of this week's podcast is not on David. But I want you to see the difference between the David this week 
versus the David in previous weeks when it comes to Saul. In the other cases, David seems to be in control for the most part. He does get a little anxious at times, and he does take minor things into his own hands. But in this, we don't see any indication that he goes to God. He just literally gets the news back, considers that a slap in the face, which in that society, an honor-shame society, it would have been a slap in the face. There's no doubt about that. But is it worth risking your life and the lives of your men in order to go and deal with this ornery landowner, sheep guy, goat guy, like, is it worth it? And David is running off half-cocked. He he just is going off of me, 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 me. Huh. Just like Nabal. His, his motives may not be as evil as Nabal's, but he he, in his anger, is out of control. A year or so ago, I did a did a lesson and then a blog post on anger and talking about there are two elements to whether something is righteous anger. One is what is the anger regarding? Is it regarding something that would anger God? That that's a starting point. If it's something that would anger God, such as sex trafficking, then obviously that could lead to righteous anger. But the second point is that anger can't cause someone to be out of control. And that's what we're seeing with David here. He did have a right reason because he had been cheated. That's how he felt like. But the problem is he was out of control. Romans 12, 19, this verse that most all of us have heard over the years. It says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. David had forgotten that. And God allowed this time to occur to remind David, because David is not finished with King Saul. He's not finished with King Saul and his just insanity at all. And sometimes God puts people in our life at crucial times because if we don't have somebody who reminds us of right from wrong, we would not make wise decisions when the big decisions came upon us. So here we go. We are in verses 23 through 28, which are our focal verses for this week. And I want you, as you listen to me read, or you read along in your translation, I want you to be thinking about what did Abigail do well? And is there anything that she should do differently? Um, Yeah, and we're going to look at some additional verses to kind of help us think through this. I'm going to go ahead and read those just so you can begin to think through them as I read through 
how a Abigail approached David. So Proverbs 15, 1, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. If it were David and Nabal, we would have had a temper temper. Well, that's what we would have had. But we're going to see that Abigail is that gentle answer that deflects anger. Proverbs 15, 4, gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 18, 13, spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. And Proverbs 25, 15, and we have a graphic about that. Patience can persuade a prince and soft speech can break bones. That is a proverb that I really want to sit and soak with as I... I've just tried to wrap my mind around that entire concept of soft speech can break bones. Then Proverbs 29, 11, fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. With that all in mind, let's look at Abigail and let's see what we can learn from her about how to be a godly diplomat. Obviously, she wasn't a Christian diplomat because she was before Christ. But she was a godly diplomat for the most part. I've got one definite point of improvement when it comes to her. But, like, there's a lot to learn from this lady. Number one, even before we read what she said, she had courage. If you're going to be a diplomat, if you are going to do it right, if you're going to stand for God with others, you have to step out in courage. It's not going to be easy. If it were going to be easy, literally anybody could do it. And we know that anybody could do it, but that doesn't mean that anybody could do it well. We see in Abigail a person who stepped out in courage, and we're going to see some other characteristics of how she handles her interactions with David that we may want to use as models as we look at our own life and those challenging conversations that we will have to have. I mean, we can't live in this world and grow into adulthood and not have to be diplomatic in situations, whether it be work, whether it be home, whether it be church. You're going to have opportunities to be that person who stands in the gap. So let's jump into verses 23 through 28 are our focal verses, but it really is 23 through 30 where we get to see a lot about Abigail. So she's courageous. She is willing to stand in the gap on behalf of Nabal, on behalf of the servants, probably specifically. She's trying to keep them all out of trouble. She knows what David's come to do. She can see him coming and she steps out and says when Abigail saw David she quickly got off her donkey and she bowed low before him so she's courageous she's willing to step out and she also she humbles herself if you go into an interaction and you go in like I've got all the answers and you need to listen to me you've just shot your foot all self in the foot already going in with humility you know, there's a difference between a Christian diplomat and just a diplomat. 
And if you are to be a Christian diplomat, whether it be you are sharing the gospel with somebody and you're speaking to them specifically about what Christ has done for them, or you are standing in the gap in your job, in your personal relationships, and you are representing Christ because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you need to humble yourself. And that may not be what's taught in business books, but that's what's taught in God's Word, which is the business book for the Christian life. Verse 24, she fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is wicked and ill-tempered man. So let me go back. In the 24, it says, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I mean, I appreciate that she is is humbling herself, which is correct, but I accept all blame in this matter. She didn't have any blame in this matter. So if you are the one to blame, accept the blame. Like that, take responsibility. But she's taking responsibility for something she did not do. I have issue with that. I don't think that is the way to go. You don't take responsibility for something you didn't do. But she is working the situation and she's trying her best to make sure that she saves the servants. But her methods, I question at times. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests, but I never saw the young men you sent. So she talks about Nabal and she's talking about her husband like dirt. Um, that's just just it. I know he is not a good guy. And I get that she's trying to say, Nabal was in the wrong, you were in the right. Like, I get that part, but she shouldn't have talked in the way she did about Nabal. That's just not, that's just not right. And then the next part, but I never saw the young men you sent. That was correct. She's saying, hey, I know you sent them. I know they came on your behalf. And I didn't see them. In other words, if I had, this thing would have turned out much differently. Verse 26, now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. And here is a present. So let's stop. So she calls upon the economy of God. And she calls upon what God has done and what God is going to do because David is going to allow the Lord to take vengeance. I had to chuckle at this, this phrase. Again, listen to it. Since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands. Like, she doesn't know that yet. But she's planting that seed in David's mind that the Lord is going to bless him because he's going to choose not to do and get revenge on Nabal and the servants. Interesting. And here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Not a bad idea. Know the people that you are talking to. And if you know of something they like, and so... I was thinking, you know, I know in one particular culture, if you have wronged someone and it is considered a major violation, 
there's a specific dish that you are to prepare in a specific way and to bring it and to humble yourself in front of them. That's what this reminds me. And not all of our cultures have something like that, but it's not a bad idea um, to, you know, bring something as kind of a peace offering to try to help mend the gap. Verse 28, please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. That's not a bad thing. I mean, she's come on pretty strong. I mean, she's jumped off this donkey and she's started in and David hadn't been able to say a word. And she's kind of just again showing her humility. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty for you are fighting the Lord's battles. That is the truth. I don't know if she's just saying that, but it is truly the truth. And then this is the phrase that I have issue with. And you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. And if you look at the ESV, so I'm reading from the NLT, but if you look at the ESV, it's worded a little different, but it's still interesting. And evil should not be found in you so long as you live. So one is looking at what he's done so far and into the future. And the other is looking more into the future. The thing is, David has done wrong and David will do wrong. So don't tell the person that you are speaking to something that's just a lie. Like, don't do what those that are not in Christ have a tendency to do. And that is to flatter somebody in such a way that is not truth. Like, don't go there. If you are honoring Christ by standing in the gap, speak truth, speak truth in kindness, but do not flatter someone in order to get something. Do not lie about what you see in them or like you are perfect. Well, that's a flat lie. Verse 29, even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord, your God, secure in his treasure pouch. That is one of the sweetest expressions I have ever seen. The ESV says the life of my Lord should be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord, your God little bit more cumbersome there. Uh, again, going from a word-for-word word translation there. But I just love that idea of the fact that our lives are safe in the care of the Lord our God, secure in his treasure pouch. For their time period, a treasure pouch would have been something that was very near and dear to them where they would keep those things that were most important. And God does keep us in his treasure pouch. He keeps us under the shadow of his wings. It says, but the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. I do believe she's referring back to the interactions between David and Goliath. Smart lady. Uh, she is taking David back to a memory of when God had intervened and she's reminding him that God is going to intervene this time as well if he will just allow him to. Verse 30, when the Lord had has done all he promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. I mean, she's skilled. 
she's just reminding him of the promise that God had made to him that he would be the king of Israel. How she knows this, I do not know. <laughs> I think it's interesting. I didn't know that the people knew, you know, that David had been told that, but she obviously knew. And don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done such, done these great things for you, please remember your servant. And so she is laying it on thick that because you are going to not take vengeance, God is going to work on your behalf. And we're going to see that that truly is the case. Whether she knew that and believed it with all her heart, or she was just saying it, we don't know. But David does internalize it. And so verse 32, we finally see David say something here. David replied to Abigail, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Then David accepted her present and told her, Return home in peace. I have heard what you said. We will not kill your husband. And again, just looking at Abigail, looking at this woman of courage, looking at this woman who appears to have a relationship with the Lord because she definitely speaks of the Lord in a way of knowledge that the Lord is one who would fight the battles for David. The Lord is one who would win those battles. The Lord was one who would be displeased with bloodshed, senseless bloodshed. Abigail, we will meet again next week, more than likely. Um, the text is there. I'm just not sure what we're going to, what we're going to talk about in it. And then we get to the last three verses in this section. And so we've seen David get very upset and just start off on a tangent and he's just going to whoop them all. And then we see Abigail and her courage to intervene and intercede like kudos to her. And then we've seen David's response that God got his attention through Abigail. And he is so thankful that she stood in the gap. I mean, it's, it's just a best case scenario for Abigail and for David because David has been hindered from sinning because it would have been a sin for him to rashly go in and just kill people because Nabal was selfish. But then we see the fleshing out of Romans 12, 19. I refer back to it, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. We don't always see that when we don't take revenge, that God immediately takes somebody out. Like that's not what we see in our own lives. But we see it in this particular set of scriptures. Verse 36, when Abigail arrived home, she found that Nabal was throwing a big party and was celebrating like a king. He was very drunk, so she didn't tell him anything about her meeting with David until the dawn the next day. 
In the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him what had happened. As a result, he had a stroke, and he lay paralyzed on his bed like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck him, and he died. Whoa. Like, seriously. What an ending. It's really not ended, just so you know, but what a seemingly end. Definitely an end for Nabal. God doesn't do that all the time. God doesn't immediately strike dead those that we choose not to get revenge upon. Like that just doesn't happen, but in this case he did. And God has the power to do just that. But Abigail and the servants who did nothing wrong, God watched over them. God took care of them. This this story, there's just so much to learn. There's so much to just marinate upon when it comes to Abigail and the character traits that we see and the words that she uses and the wisdom that she shows. Did she do it perfectly from a Christ-like perspective? No. Uh, But sadly, I mean, we're not going to be perfect. We're not going to be perfect in every interaction. We're not going to be perfect every time that we stand in the gap. And yet God can accomplish mighty things in and through us. If we show courage, if we humble ourselves, and we allow God to fight our battles. Abigail was a good example of what she was challenging David to do. And we're going to see in a couple of weeks how David, he needed that reminder and how he acts more like the David that we know. The one who realizes that God is in control and allows the Lord to fight for him. So as you think about our weekly assignment feature and you think about in which area of life do you need to improve your diplomatic skills and not just which area, but like which ones, like, is it Stopping long enough to truly listen to the other person before you figure out what you're going to say next? Is it being able to keep your anger in check so that you can, number one, hear them, and number two, that you can respond accordingly? So I'm going to read again the verses from Proverbs that we read toward the beginning. And I want you to think about your own life. and. I'm going to take just a moment and and say, Dear Father, I pray that as I read through these verses, that you will convict each of us, that you will help us to see where we struggle and where we need to depend on you, where we need to work, uh, where we need to work in our lives to be better representatives of you, whether it be in our workplace, whether it be in our churches, whether it be in our personal relationships, Dear Father, I pray that you would take these scriptures, your holy word, and just as your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, I pray that you would use it to 
Prick us where we need to be pricked. Guide us where we need to be guided. Strengthen us where we need to be strengthened. Soften us where we need to be softened. And use us as your instruments of peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Proverbs 15.1 A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Proverbs 15.4 Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 18.13 Spouting off without before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. Proverbs 25.15 Patience can persuade a prince, and soft speech can break bones. Proverbs 29.11 Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. Where did God prick you as I read those scriptures? Is it the point of pride where you struggle to listen to others? to hear them out. You've always got to have your way. You've always got to have the last word. Is it the fact that your words come out harsh? Is it the fact that you speak out of anger? That you don't allow others to finish so that you can truly try to... You don't hear in order to understand. You only stop talking long enough to figure out what you're going to say. Abigail assessed the situation, showed courage, showed humility, showed wisdom, showed a knowledge of God, a knowledge of God's character, a knowledge of David and what David would consider important. May we learn from her. And may we learn not only from what she did right, but possibly on those points that she could have improved upon. And in your interactions in this next week, I pray that God would remind you that you are a Christian diplomat, not only when you are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone, but because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you are to be a diplomat of the Lord in every interaction. You may not see yourself in that way, but those around you who know what you profess, they watch you. And in what you say and in what you do and how you say it, they either see the character of Christ or they see the character of fallen man. May God grow you May God show you, and may God show others evidence of his love, mercy, and grace flowing in and through you. Thank you so much for taking some time out just to reflect on God's word with me. Remember, this podcast is free 
of charge for you to listen to. It's free for you to share with others. I ask that you share it. It is available on most popular podcast platforms. The link that I have in the show notes um, will be to outcasts um, that I've been using for myself whenever I listen to a podcast, but you can find it on Apple. You can find it on iHeartRadio. You can, I did, I said outcast, it's overcast. I knew that sounded weird. Like that, that would be fun. Let's, let's make it uh, the podcast, the outcast podcast. Uh, it's uh, This is available on Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and probably a whole bunch of other places that I don't even know. So thank you for tuning in. Take an opportunity to share. If you need to reach out to me, either for me to pray about something or just have a question or a comment, you can reach out to me at encouragingothersinlovingjesus at gmail.com. We have our Facebook group, Encouraging Others in Loving Jesus. You can request admittance. I'm thinking that as the new year comes on, which again, I am broadcasting, I am recording this at the end of 2021. The 2022 is just around the corner. And I'm thinking I'm going to do some new things in the group at that time. So would love to have more of you in there to participate. And as we always want to be reminded to remember it's always a trust and obey kind of day. Mm -hmm.